Today on Positively Charged Biz, we are here to motivate, inspire, and support our listeners as they write their life stories. Thank you for joining us today on Positively Charged Biz. I'm Laura Brandeo, and I'm here with my co-host, Tonda Hall. And I have been waiting months for this guest. And I think everyone is going to have some takeaways from this incredible woman. Dr. Valerie Young is an internationally recognized expert on imposter syndrome. Her clients include such diverse organizations as Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Google, NASA, just to name a few. She has spoken at over 85 colleges and universities, including Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, MIT, and Oxford. Valerie is the author of the award-winning book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It, which is now available in six languages. And her advice to both men and women has appeared in dozens of major media outlets. No stranger to the corporate world, Valerie spent seven years in management in a Fortune 100 company before founding Imposter Syndrome Dot com. Valerie, we are truly honored to have you here with us today. And the way we always like to start our podcast is at the beginning of our guest journey. So please tell our audience what first drew you to researching imposter syndrome. Oh, I'm happy to. And thanks so much for, for having me. Uh, you know, it really started because I felt like such an imposter, but I didn't have a name for it yet, uh, Laura. I was I was a doctoral student at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, and actually the, the same university where my mother was working as a second shift custodian at the time. So I'm going to class, and she's cleaning the classrooms. Uh, and somebody brought in a paper by Dr. Pauline Clance and Dr. Suzanne Imes, the two psychologists who first coined the term the imposter phenomenon, and started reading from this research paper where they found that all these, you know, capable, successful People felt like they were fooling folks and they were going to be found out. And I just started nodding my head like a bobblehead doll. I just instantly <laughs> identified, so I decided to research more broadly. I was looking at women's self-limiting attitudes and behaviors because initially they thought imposter phenomena, which is a more accurate term for it, um, affected you know just women, but now they know men can feel this way as well. Wow, that is so interesting. It really is. And I have to also explain why I actually reached out to you. The reason and what, what kind of brought me to you is that I was doing a panel discussion for a group of women in the mortgage business, because that's what I do as my main career. And during a discussion, women started speaking about imposter syndrome. And they literally started saying, Laura, although we're successful mortgage broker owners and successful loan officers and successful CEOs of our companies, we feel like a fraud. And I said, wait a minute. I said, there has to be information about this. And that was how I found you. So I have to tell you, number one, I'm, I really am so happy that you're here with us today. Because just as those women felt that way, I thought to myself, this is something that we need to speak about. And I know that's, that's kind of one of your recommendations, isn't it? Is about bringing it to the forefront and having discussions. So tell us a little bit about that. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, there's so much... First of all, people often don't even know that there's a name for these feelings. So that alone, for a lot of people, can be tremendously liberating. You know, there's a name for this, and other people feel this way, too. So, it, you know, knowing that is, is, is great. And then giving voice to these kind of nebulous feelings of, of, of fraudulence is important because there's so much shame associated with the feelings. But, but I always want to cautious pe- caution people to not get stuck in just talking about it. You know, I know so many people who spent literally decades just telling their, you know, significant other or their friends, you know, oh my God, it's going to bomb, it's going to be terrible, I'm never going to get the job, the project's going to blow up, and, <laughs> you know, but, you know, in, in many ways, talking about being an imposter, but nothing ever changes. Their confidence doesn't increase, they just kind of keep spiraling into this, you know, I'm going to be found out kind of message they give themselves. So, it's a first step, but it can't be the only step. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, all right, go ahead, Tanya. Well, I just wanted to back up just a minute and say, can you really explain what it is? Because I've talked to a few people saying, oh, I'm so excited, and talking about you, Valerie, and I th- and when I said imposter syndrome, people are like, what is that? And, and but Because you're right, they don't really know what that as a name, but when you really kind of say what it is, it's like people go, oh, yeah, I get it. I get that now, right? So maybe yeah. for our listeners, just explaining what that encompasses and what that really means. Absolutely. You know, the very, very shorthand way to describe it, if your viewers are, remember Mike Myers from Saturday Night Live, is, you know, he used to say that he was still waiting for the no-talent police to come and arrest him. So basically, it, it describes this unconscious belief, kind of core belief, that despite evidence of our abilities or accomplishments, whether it's good grades or degrees or certification or uh, a track record, promotions, etc., you know, like deep down we feel like, you know, sure I'm successful, but I can explain all that. And we chalk it up to, you know, I just got lucky or somebody helped me or, you know, kind of right time, right place, or I had connections, somebody helped me get my foot in the door or, you know, it's a family business. Um, Or, and I hear this a lot, especially from women, the sense that, yeah, sure, they told me my presentation was great, but that's just because they like me. You know, as if likability wasn't a skill set, which, by the way, it very much is. But, but we externalize our accomplishments, and so then we're left with the only conclusion is that, you know, that we somehow fooled them. And, and with that comes the fear of eventually being found out. Wonderful. Yeah, that's a great description. Um, I explained it, but not nearly as well as you. <laughs> People got the gist of it, for sure. So do you think it's a, I mean, in your research, is it a confidence thing? Well, certainly, you know, confidence, you know, comes into play, you know, but there are people who who are able to project, you know, tremendous confidence but still have imposter feelings. And I think it's, you know, it's interesting you raise the issue of confidence because I think sometimes we confuse confidence with competence. You know, we look at people who seem eternally confident and we think, you know, we compare ourselves to them because we don't always feel confident, right? And so we think, you know, they, they must be really competent and I'm not because we think I, if I was really competent, I'd be confident 24-7. And, and I think it's important to parse the two out because the research shows that in a, in a leaderless group, people are more willing to follow the more confident person over the more competent person. 
mm. which is really yeah. fascinating when you think about it. Because I see especially, not uniquely women, but especially women, you know, running around getting more and more credentialed and more experienced, you know, trying to become more and more, you know, going to prove their competence, when in fact I think what some of us need to do is work on projecting more confidence. Yeah, that makes sense. I just was listening to Darren Hardy. I'm a big fan of his, and he was talking about uh, in sales where it's whoever really can convey emotions, feelings that 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 you believe it, right? That you're saying it to someone, and when you believe it and you feel it and you convey that to another human being, whether you know everything or not, they trust you, they believe you because you're so emotional and confident. And I guess he used the word confident, but confident in what you're explaining to them. So sometimes there are people probably that are really confident and have degrees and all those things, but maybe they're not communicating it as well as someone that is more confident in public exactly. speaking. So yeah, and then there are some people who are like over the top confident, you know, kind of the smartest guy in the room syndrome, mm-hmm. who, who know everything and project, you know, like, uber confidence but they're not necessarily competent <laughs> they don't really necessarily know what they're doing and that's the opposite of imposter syndrome um, you know somebody wrote an article years ago she called it irrational self-confidence syndrome uh, oh. but it's actually been documented it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect named after Professor Dunning at Cornell University who found that essentially people who don't know what they're doing don't know that they don't know what they're doing huh and then people who really do know what they're doing, you know, and end up performing well on an exam, for example, assume that they're, they're going to do terribly. So we're not very good, accurate judges of our, you know, capabilities and, and potential. Wow, that's hmm. interesting. And, and I will tell you, you know, going back to that group of women that I had on the panel, for me, all I kept thinking about is, what can I do as a leader to help other people that may be feeling this. And I know, you know, when I read your book and and I listened to you on a few things, you mentioned things like you have people that are flying under the radar. But then you also have a workaholic that could be suffering from this. And tell me a little bit about that because I, you know, as a leader of an organization, I want to be able to recognize when someone may feel this way and what can we do to help others, you know, through those situations? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And what you're describing, you know, are some of the uh, unconscious, what Pauline Clance would call coping and protecting mechanisms. You know, the reason why, you know, major corporations and universities and professional associations bring me in to speak is not because this is an interesting self-help topic, but because they they understand that these feelings manifest in behaviors, and these behaviors have consequences for the individual, but also for the organization. So two that you mentioned is, one of them is flying under the radar. So what someone might do, again, very unconsciously, because we're trying to take care of ourselves, right? We're trying to avoid being found out, and we're trying to manage the anxiety of waiting for the other shoe to drop. So that might be the person who doesn't ask questions in class or meeting. They don't share their ideas, their opinions. They don't go for promotions, more challenging opportunities. Um, they don't scale their business. And you know, they might stay in a job they've long outgrown because it's safer there. Right? If they poke their head up you know, above the radar, then they could be found out or they could fail or be dis- if they try, they might be disappointed. So it's better to kind of play small stay under the radar. 
on the other end of the continuum is the person who over-prepares and, and overworks, you know, constantly. So they might, you know, spend, you know, three days on something that they honestly could have gotten done in, you know, two hours. Oh uh, and they, you know, everything, you know, it, it requires undue, um, you know, effort, effort that's not really required because they, here's the thing is, is that they're, they're, and they're not just, I just want to be clear, I'm stumbling over my words here for a moment, but I want to be clear, I'm not talking about good old-fashioned hard work. Right. What these people are doing is they're overworking, overbearing, out of the sense that they have to because they're not as, you know, intelligent or qualified as other people. And so, you know, this is another way to cover up for their supposed ineptness. Yeah, and that... someone else that could be job hopping or alcohol abuse or procrastination or never starting or finishing. So, it shows up in different ways. Yeah, and I found that fascinating. I really did because the flying under the radar, I, I think... I, I definitely see that. You know, I see the people that they're afraid to raise their hand or afraid to speak up. They want to just stay in the same old, same old role and not be challenged because they're competent in that role, right? They're like, I've got this. I know exactly what to do day in, day out. And as long as I keep doing that, nobody will bother me, right? I'll just keep going along. And I mean, I don't know if um, that's this or if that's just human nature. I'm not sure what it is. But I would have never expected the workaholic or the person that's preparing three days for something that could have taken a much shorter amount of time. In my mind, I'm like, oh, that's just an overachiever. That's just an A-type personality. That's So when I read that, I was like, wow, I would have never expected that. But yet, it completely opened my mind to realize that yeah and and I will also tell you it you know again I'm I'm the only woman partner at the company that I'm at and so there's been many a time that I'm sitting in a boardroom with a group of men and they're speaking about something that I'm staring at them going I don't even know what you're saying <laughs> you know like I have no idea what you're even saying and there has been many a time where I've thought wait a minute, you know, how how can I be sitting in this boardroom? And I will open and honest say, I didn't even realize that was something that other people experienced. And that's another reason why I feel I think everyone could relate at some moment in their life where they've, they've had that feeling. And it's interesting that everybody automatically thinks it's women. But you've, your research shows it's not just women, right? Yeah, it's not just my, there's lots of research that, that finds that. You know, most of my, you know, especially my corporate speaking engagements are, you know, m- many men there. Um, and I think younger men, millennial men, you know, Generation Z, they're more open to talking about it. You know, they don't, they're not embarrassed by having vulnerabilities as maybe, you know, baby boomer generation men might have been. And I also think, you know, just the pace of organizational life is quickening so much that, you know, we're all feeling a bit overwhelmed and that we can't quite keep up. Right. Um, So I think it's just more common. And then you have social media with this constant culture of comparison. I mean, we can't all possibly be living our best life (laughs) all at the same time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I I was actually going to ask you about that. What, what? Do you think social media is contributing to this, especially the generation that has grown up with only knowing social media? You know, where where do you think this plays in? Because I would think it's heightened. 
by social media, like you said, this only posting your best life ever and your best moments, you know, the comparison of, wow, they're having a much better life than I am. I must be doing something wrong. What What are your thoughts on that? Right, yeah, and be- because it, there's constantly you're comparing yourself with people who, they're only telling the end of the story. They're not talking, you know, they're not sharing, the, you know, the times that they failed and the jobs that they didn't get and the the presentation that that bombed you know you're not seeing those posts and yet I would invite your listeners to google Princeton professor failure CV the guy has posted he's a tenured professor at Princeton he's he's posted his very impressive resume his CV but then he also posted his failure CV Hmm. and so the conferences that rejected him the publications that rejected him his his work the jobs he didn't get you know the schools that didn't tenure him (laughs) and because people think success is this kind of straight arrow you know up when in reality success is like peaks and valleys yeah that wow that was very vulnerable of him to do that yeah. Well, he got the idea from a woman who did it, uh, who, I think her, she was in Scotland, and she wrote about it in Nature magazine. A few other people have done it, so he, he's got links to their, their, theirs as well. You know, but that, it's interesting, because, you know, we, we think of it as being, making ourselves vulnerable, but I think that's part of the, the problem, is that, you know, we act like it, it's an aberration to, to have, you know, failures and mistakes, right. but that's real life. You know, MIT, I was uh, speaking at MIT, and a couple weeks later they were going to bring in three very prestigious professors to talk about their, their best failures and what they learned from them. I mean, entrepreneurs, you know, very much focus on, you know, let me tell you my three biggest failures because that's where I learned the most. So I think we have to teach, you know, kids around about that kind of resilience, and we need to talk more about it, you know, in in organizations. Because a lot of organizations kind of pay lip service to, you know, taking risks and trying things. But employees often feel like, yeah, they say that. <laughs> but if I do and it fails, you know, it's going to be on me. Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking about the social media part. It's like, but even without social media, just being in a workplace, we... I think this is just me being vulnerable is, you know, sometimes we look at people and think they have it all together. And if they knew that we didn't have it all together, right? But in reality, as I've aged, I realize nobody has it all together, (laughs) you know? So, you know, wonderful. It's so important that you said that. There was a woman who I did a session for a group of, of, of physicians, and she was a pulmonary you know, some kind of some kind of position in the emergency room. So she was on call, and they had a very long, you know, like these stretches of like 16-hour, you know, being on call. And this went on for, you know, months and months, and she finally just said, I can't do it anymore, and said to her, you know, all her male colleagues, she was the only woman, she's like, you know, I, I just can't do this. I have to, I need help. And they were like, oh, I'm so glad you said that. We were like dying, but we didn't want to say anything. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Well, yeah, I guess a guy would, yeah, they don't, they want to be, yeah, the rescuer, well, and they the would still want a minute. Yeah, but on the flip side, you know, I, I know we, we talked a, a minute ago about, you know, you, you were talking about being in a group, Laura, and not understanding, you know, what the heck they were talking about. You know, I, I often ask my audiences, you know, how many of you have sat in a meeting or a class and you didn't understand, but you didn't want to raise your hand because you didn't want to sound stupid? But we've all done that. Sure. And then someone asks our question, 
And the person in the front of the room says, oh, it's a brilliant question. Right. Great idea. And you're like, oh, man, oh, that was blast. <laughs> so the point that I always make is it's not about knowing everything. It's about not knowing with confidence. It's right. About being the person who raises their hand and confidently says, excuse me, I'm not clear what you mean. Do you mean this or that? Or could you explain that a different way? I'm not understanding. And people will be relieved because they often have the same question, but you're also signaling, you know, to the world and yourself that, you know, I don't know everything and I have the right to not understand and there's no, nothing shameful about it. Nope. No, and I think, yeah. you know, Tonda just said, you know, as she's gotten older, as I think in life, as we mature and, and become more experienced in business and in personal, I think you're right. Like now I've gotten to the point that, None of that bothers me anymore, and I strive to actually teach the generation behind me that it's okay. You know, it's and how are you ever going to learn if you don't ask those yeah. questions? So, you know, how are you yeah. ever, you know, you talk about a few ways to um, help with feeling this way, and you say, number one, not to be ashamed, right? That there is no shame in it, and then you, you speak about don't wait until you feel confident to do something, right? You don't have to be the expert. You don't have to have all the answers to before you um, go and do that. And then you also speak about reframing to not think like an imposter. Can you explain what do you mean by that? Sure. Well, people who don't feel like imposters are no more intelligent, capable, competent than the rest of us. It's just in the exact same situation, whether it's a job interview or a promotion or getting up to a podium or whatever it might be, you know, where you and I might have a, or somebody else might have an imposter response, they're thinking different thoughts. So they think differently about three things. They think differently about competence, they think differently about failure, mistakes, and criticism, and they think differently about fear. So it's not just motivational, you know, kind of self-talk. It's not just a pep talk. It's not just saying, you've got this or you can do it. I mean, that's great, but that's not going to carry you that far. You have to reframe how you think about, again, competence, failure, mistakes, and criticism, and fear. So it's a difference, for example, somebody gets a new assignment. The person who feels like an imposter thinks, oh, my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. The non-imposter, we'll call them a non-imposter, they think, okay, I've never done this before, but I can figure it out. Or I've never done this before, but I guess I'm going to really learn a lot. You know, the, the person who feels like an imposter walks into, you know, a conference or steps on a you know, elite campus and thinks, oh, my God, everyone here is brilliant. <laughs> They're totally freaked out. Right. The non-imposter thinks, wow, everybody here is brilliant. Right. I learned so much. Right. And, and in your research, is that something that is, do you think, and in eight, like, you know, I believe that we're 50% nurture, 50% nature, you know, our surroundings could affect us half the time, but, you know, there's families with three kids and they all are completely different and one's, you know, and, and so I always ask the question, it makes me curious, it's like, okay, is that an innate built-in, somebody already has that, where that non-imposter, as you call it, you know, that's how they just they think like that, naturally think like that? Or you know, that it's hard to say. It's, a, it's an excellent question. It, it's impossible to say for sure. I've heard many mothers say their sons came to come out of the womb being like, re, like, they're like, where did they get that confidence? They're just so sure of themselves, you know, at five years old or seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they raised them the same. So it's hard to say, but there are definitely things that parents can do to help instill um 
instill that kind of thinking. There's a wonderful book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And um, she, uh, there's, there's more to it, but the bottom line is um, the typical dinnertime conversation with kids is, what did you learn in school today? To which they say, nothing, <laughs> <laughs> or I don't remember, <laughs> yeah. which is what we said, I'm sure, right? And, but she said, wouldn't it be a more useful dinnertime conversation to maybe once a week, every other week, to go around and say, let's all talk about something that was difficult or challenging or we failed at, and how we dealt with it, I'll start. Oh. Yeah, you want to teach great. kids. You want to teach kids about resilience. Okay, yeah. so that was really hard. What? Do you, how are we, you know, you know, it's about you know, trying harder and getting some tutoring and working at it because kids get it into their head that I can do it or I can't. You know, I'm creative or I'm not. I can do math or I can't, you know. And instead, you know, she, they've learned through tons of research that it really is about fostering what she calls a growth mindset. Mm, and I'm going to tell you briefly because I do think it's really quite fascinating. They went into, you know, scores of schools. I mean, massive amounts of research. They go into schools with young children and they would give them a puzzle or a task to do. And then to half of the students in one room, they'd say, wow, great job, you must be really smart. The other group, they said, great job, you must work really hard. Oh. Just giving kids that different feedback was, you know, profound. Right. The kids who are praised for being smart, they go, you're so smart. Do you want another, a harder puzzle, or do you want one like you did? It's counterintuitive, but the kids who are praised for being smart, a larger percentage of them didn't want a harder puzzle. Because, you know, for kids, praise is like oxygen. They didn't want to risk their status of being smart. Oh. But the kids who were praised for effort, more of them wanted, you know, yeah, let me at it. They also had them write a letter to a child in another school and talk about their experience that day. The kids who were praised for being smart, a higher percentage of them lied and said they did better than they really did. Wow. So Fascinating. I <laughs> yeah, wow. and there's many more studies. I really recommend It's a great book. She has a chapter on business, on sports, on parenting. But oh. it's all about having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So these yeah. kids, you know, she would teach them, okay, maybe this is really hard for you, but here's how the brain works. She'd teach them in a way that kids could understand. And these kids, would, you know, the more you work at it and you try, you know, you'll, you'll finally get it. And they would look up with you know, tears in their eyes saying, so you mean I don't have to be stupid? Oh. Because they were getting this message, like, if you, you know, if this is not coming easily to you, which right. goes back to imposter thinking, right? Um, not everything's going to come quickly or easily. Some things you're going to, we're all, you know, we all have our things that are just more effortless for us, but people who feel like imposters often think, if I don't pick it up automatically, if this is hard for me to master or understand, then, you know, I must not be competent. Hmm. When in fact, you know, uh, not everything is, you know, there's always going to be a learning curve. Allow yourself to be in the midst of that learning curve, especially Absolutely. when you start something new. I, I, I actually, my, yeah, I was I, gonna say my philosophy in life is we learn something new every day. I'm like, I learn something new every day, literally. It's like I have an aha moment about something every day, and I'm like, I, you know, I'm 58 years old. So, like, I just think you're always learning. It's just part of life, but... Um, and then I know, Laura, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I, quickly, I was actually, though, I wanted yeah. to say my son-in-law, when you're talking about the mindset with the kids and the conversation, I love it because my son-in-law, um, I have three grandsons, and with his three boys at night, whether it's, you know, if I'm there or whoever's there the, at the table when we're eating after dinner, we have to, 
he asks the question and the kids start and he asks what's your high low and uh, unexpected so they he wants to know what the high of the day was what the low of the day was and what was unexpected something that unexpected happened to them and then he has a conversation with them about it how did you feel and i love it because i love hearing what a you know eight-year-old and a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old have to say like that's that's great that is great that's that's a wonderful conversation starter and it does allow them to it's not all about the highs right you're going to have the lows and yeah that's wonderful that's awesome i uh, valerie i actually want to share with you that i took one of your advices that i heard where i was um about to go out on stage with four gentlemen i'm in vegas and the gentlemen were helping me with going out on stage for a presentation and they kept saying they were nervous and i remember that you told them it's a mind shift that you should say i'm excited instead of saying i'm nervous and i have to tell you they completely changed their mindset and when they got off of that stage i think they could have climbed any mountain because of how they felt but they turned the nerves into excitement absolutely and and the the reason that's so helpful for them was because your body doesn't know the difference between fear and excitement right sweaty palms nervous stomach dry throat so it's much better as you're walking to the podium or into the job interview or the meeting. It's just to keep telling yourself, you know, I'm excited. And here's the thing. You don't even have to believe it. You know, feelings are the last to change. That's why, you know, I always tell people the only way to stop feeling like an imposter is to stop thinking like an imposter and then to do the thing that you don't think you can do. In other words, keep going regardless of how you feel. So often people wait until they feel more confident to scale their business or more confident to, to go after a promotion or change jobs. You know, and it doesn't work that way. You have to change your thoughts, even though you don't always 100% believe the new thoughts because you're used to the old ones, right? Um, you know, again, do the thing that scares you, and over time, the feelings will catch up. Yeah, we talked about that in one of our other podcasts, too, about really it's courage. Just have the courage to say yes, and the more you do, the more confident you become. Absolutely. Say yes and then figure it out on the fly. Yes. Right? <laughs> Make the commitment and then go, you know, well, you make it. <laughs> yeah, well, but, you know, go find out who else knows. How You know, I mean, I tell people I have a Ph.D. in Google. <laughs> when somebody tells me they don't know how to do something, to me it's like nails on a chalkboard. It's like, are you serious? Everything is online. You know, yeah. or there's Google. people we can talk to. We can always, we don't have to know everything, but we are, quote, unquote, smart enough to figure it out. Yeah, and or say, but I know who does, right? Like at exactly. work, I used to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I know where to get the answer, and I'll get it yeah, for you. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that you also say is the goal is to have an imposter moment and not an imposter life. So that, right, yeah. yeah. Well, because people are, you know, what people want is, again, to feel confident 24-7, and that's not how it works. We have moments of confidence, we have moments of fear, you know, we're just hardwired. If something's new or different, you know, we're going to not feel 100% confident. So my goal is not for somebody to never feel like an imposter. Again, if that happens, that's great. But it's more to realize, you know, when you're having a, I think, a normal imposter moment, just to have the, the insight and the tools to be able to talk yourself down faster. Right. Absolutely. So I know you have an upcoming trip 
you were uh, we were going back and forth trying to schedule, and you're traveling again. So tell us a little bit about what are some of the things you're you're working on right now, and and to come in 2020. Oh sure, yeah. Well, I just happen to be leaving in a few days for Switzerland. I'm going to be speaking to 35 um, women for you know it's a, it's a global international company. They're based in America, but you know they're all around the world. And they're bringing in 35 of their senior women from Australia and Hong Kong and Singapore and Europe. And so I will be doing a piece of two hours on imposter syndrome. And then I'm gonna, we're also going to talk about what are some things they can do within the organization to try to create, you know, kind of a, a culture that, um, an imposter-free culture, if you will. Yeah, I, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I think that is so vital, Valerie. Please just keep, you know, I know that's your mission of one of the things that you do, but I have to commend you for that because even more than just touching one person at a time, from a culture standpoint of an organization, of the different, whether it's a university, whether it's a corporation, that is so vital. So thank you. And go ahead. What else are you working on? Uh, just, you know, again, a lot of, you know, it, it, it's such a diverse audience who has these feelings. So then I will be going back to, back to Denmark, to University of Copenhagen in, in January. Um, I'm probably, I'd like to take my book and actually shorten it. I, I hate the title, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. Uh, and I just want to have a, a shorter book and one that, you know, is readily more accessible uh, to, to men and women, and I'm probably going to create kind of a done-for-you program that universities, you know, can just buy some videos and leader guides and run their own workshops and don't necessarily need me there to do it. Oh, that's exciting. That is so exciting. So, Valerie, I know you have a website, and I know you have your book out there, so just tell our audience how they can learn more about this, and, and, you know, I'm sure everyone has had an imposter moment regardless male female you know whether you're in a corporation or or whatever your lifestyle is i'm sure everybody can relate to this so i certainly want to share sure absolutely you know but even if they can't to know that if there are people in your organization who do or in your family you know it's in your interest to understand it because there are costs you know to, to everyone um it's, so it's super easy to find me it's just imposter syndrome.com oh that is simple. All right. That's that simple. Simple, yeah. And I wanted the uh, the last thing I wanted to say is I know you talk about this, Valerie, but even someone as uh, global as Maya Angelou, who has her quote, I've yeah. I've written eleven books, but each time I think, uh oh, they're going to find me out now. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's probably everyone has some of it, or uh, you know, a large. Popula- percentage of the population. Absolutely. I think in your study, it's percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in good company. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's an awareness thing because I think, you know, people do have it, but they just don't know what it is. Yeah, they don't have a name for the feeling. They don't have a name for it. Right, right. Yeah. Now they yeah. do. Now Now they they do. do. And thank you so much for, you know, this is great research. Thank you for, you know, putting it in a simple way to, you know, your book is is phenomenal. Um, I've also watched your TED Talk and, and kind of watched some other interviews. So thank you for, you know, maybe making others aware. And like you said, even if you haven't experienced it, you know, when your family or your coworkers or your organization that you're part of, somebody could be feeling that and you may not even be aware and now 
you're aware of that. So thank you, Valerie. Exactly. It's been been My truly pleasure. a pleasure. So Tonda, I'll let you wrap it up. Okay, and yes, thank you so much, Valerie. This has been amazing, and I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate it. And, um, you know, I encourage everyone to uh, go on impostorsyndrome.com and, and look Valerie up and uh, read her book. It's, it's amazing. And, um, yeah, we always talk about how we're just better together, and uh, we believe that. And I would say after this, it's like also have the courage uh, to take a step, and the confidence will come. And um, I wish everyone an awesome week and a happy Thanksgiving. And thank you so much again, Valerie, for joining us. Thank you, Valerie. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Positively Charged Biz. I'm Tonda Hall. And I'm Laura Brandeo. We are here to motivate, inspire, and support our listeners as they write their life stories. Stay inspired. If you have an inspiring story, please reach out to us at inspired at positivelycharged.biz and connect to us on Facebook at Positively Charged and follow us on Twitter at B-I-Z Charged at B-I-Z-C-H-A-R-G-E-D.